Well, good morning, Mount Airy. Thank you for being part of our service today. Um, I don't know if you've kept up with this on the news, if you've seen it online or read it in a newspaper, but the oldest known time capsule in the United States, which was buried by Samuel Adams and Paul Revere, was found in December, uh, this past December, and it was opened recently on January the 6th of this year. Let me show you a picture here. This is of the time capsule when they found it. They, it was discovered during some renovation of the state house in Massachusetts, and they were doing some renovation, and and they found it in this, uh, I guess, not a granite uh, slab. They chiseled it out. It was a copper box, and took many many hours. I think like seven hours or so just to chisel it out, and. Uh, Give you a perspective of this thing. It was buried back when George Washington was president. So that's that's just kind of fascinating. And so you'll understand the next slide why they took so much caution in opening it. They took hours and hours and hours just to open it. It took several hours just to take the screws off of the top. The top was screwed down. It took several hours just to slowly turn the screws. And they used a pin quill and a dental tool, just very, very cautious as they opened this thing. And it contained, once they got it open, they're fascinated to find out that it contained some real treasures. It contained uh, three newspapers from that time, folded newspapers that were in pristine condition. Uh, they found, I think it was 24 coins, some copper coins, some silver coins. They, it also contained a, a little silver plate that was engraved that had the names of Samuel Adams and Paul Revere on it, probably placed in that by Paul Revere or Samuel Adams themselves. And it was just a fascinating uh, time capsule in almost perfect condition. About a week before that, about a week before this was opened, there was another time capsule that was opened. You probably didn't hear about it because it wasn't in Boston. It was in Powdersville. Uh, on January the 1st, 2000, doesn't quite go back to 1795, but on January the 1st, 2000, you know, 2000 was a big year, you going into a, a new century and all, and it was a big time that we were all celebrating. So the Shorters decided to bury a time capsule, and we did as a family. Let me show you the picture of it. January the 1st, night, uh, 2000, you'll notice that I had hair back then. That's the first thing I noticed, I don't know about you, but... Those were the good old days 15 years ago. Of course, my kids were a lot smaller then, but we went out in the backyard and we dug a hole and we planted this time capsule. Now, about 15 years later, well, not about, it was 15 years later, on January 1 this year, Lauren decided it was time to dig up the time capsule. And they had drawn a little children's map. They had kept it in, in a drawer in the kitchen. I didn't even know it was in there. Under some, some other things in the kitchen, they went and got the, the map out so we'd remember where the time capsule was. And so we dug it up. Let me show you this next picture. It's a really bad picture. You can't see that, but I wish you could because what, what I'm holding there is the time capsule. And what you're, if you could see it a lot better than that, I'm holding it up and draining the water out of it. I mean, a lot of water. It was full of water. Now, I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever planted a time capsule, but I can give you a word of advice. It's not good when you have water in your time capsule. You don't want that. And so, 
we uh, got everybody together, and we all got around it, and the kids got a kick out of it, and just seeing what they had put in it. And I have it here with me today. Um, the kids really got a kick out of it, just looking at what was in it. And, and Lisa suggested that we recreate the picture that we had when we planted it. So here's the next picture. You'll notice I have a lot less hair in that picture. And for those who are really observant, you'll notice I still have the same sweatshirt on. It's a Clemson sweatshirt that back in 2000, I was trying to be a Clemson fan, and now I just wear it to do yard work. Uh, but I still have it, and it's actually in pretty good condition. Um, and, and so we opened the time capsule and had a lot of fun with it, uh, laughed about what we had put in there, what was so important to them as children to place in the time capsule. So I want to show you some of the things that, that, that we've I don't have time to show you everything, but, but things like this. I don't know what it was. I have no idea what that used to be. But we thought it was important. And then Jonathan, I'll just put that there. Uh, Jonathan put in, you know, remember he was just a little guy. He put in a little red fire truck and the back wheels are missing. I guess he figured I don't need it now, so this would be a good thing to put in the, in the time capsule. You know, so we, we had the fire truck and Lauren had this little box that she had a bug in. She thought that would be good to put in the time capsule. And we had this countdown to 2,000 timer. It doesn't work anymore. It got wet. And it's, so it, I think probably my favorite, though, it's right here in the bottom. Just so everybody would know, in case somebody dug it up besides us and we forgot to dig it up and somebody d- dug it up besides us, uh, we decided to put in a picture of our family. Uh, from where you're at, you probably can't tell what's on there, but I'm looking at it right now, and I can't tell what's on there. It was a lot of fun, and did a lot of laughing about what we'd put in there and things that they thought were really important back in 15 years ago. And then they all just kind of left, and left me standing in the mud with the remnants of this time capsule. And I stood out there for a while, and I looked at it, and here's what I literally thought as I looked at it. I thought, Man, I wish I'd done that differently. I wish I had done that differently. And I thought about how foolish I was to think about to think that a cheap plastic container and a Walmart bag would protect everything. And I stood there and I thought about, you know, if I could do it all over again, here's the way I'd do it. If I could do it all over again, this, this is what I would do. And I kept thinking about what I would do differently if I could just do it all over again. Have you ever thought about what you would do differently if you could live your life all over again? You probably have said those kind of things. Man, I wish I could do that over. I wish there's some things I would do different if I could do it over. Perhaps if you do it over, you're convinced that you could avoid some of the mistakes that has cost you years of grief. If you could just do it over, you could sidestep some of the potholes that, has, that have jarred you and ruined you. If you could do it all over again, you'd make wiser decisions. Wiser, wiser decisions about your finances or about your marriage and uh, about your family. And, but right now, you can't do it over. Now you're kind of like me. You're left holding a box of regret. That's really about all this is. That's about all that's, this is good for now. It's just 
just a box of regret. It's a reminder that I wish I had done things differently. And I think that's where some of you are today. You've got your box of regret too. And it's a reminder of what you did wrong and what you could have done differently if you could kind of do it all over again. May I remind you of something that's in the Bible? May I remind you, this is not our verse for today, but may I remind you that Romans 8.28 is still in your Bible? And Romans 8.28 basically says this, that God can take anything and work it for your good. That God can work even through the messes of life, and He makes us that promise in the midst of our pain that the past can be changed, the future can be different, because He can work all things for good. To those who love Him. So as you hold your box full of regret, you've got two choices you can make today. First, you can decide that you want to rewrite your future. You want to do it differently. Or, you can decide to keep doing the same old, same old. And nothing will ever change. And nothing will ever be different. And nothing will ever be better. Last week we began a series called, a brief series called A Better Life. And we talked about New Year's resolutions that we make. They're simply an attempt, our attempt to get a better life. Our attempt to do it better this year. Our attempt to do it differently this year. The problem with New Year's resolutions is that they usually don't work. I told you last week, statistics show that 92% of the resolutions we make, we don't keep. 92% of the resolutions we make, we fail at. But what if it were possible to really have a new you in the new year? That's what this series is about, some practical steps you can take to have a better life in 2015. And I said last week, the very first step to a better life is to learn how to pray better. Now, I'm not going to rehearse that message for you, but I would encourage you, if you weren't here, go back and watch it online. It's already posted. You can watch it online. But essentially, this is what I taught you last week. When we learn how to pray better, we'll learn how to live better. And so that's what we talked about last week. When you learn how to pray better, you'll learn how to live better. Now, the second step to a better life is this. If you want taking notes or you want to add to your notes from last week, here's the second step to a better life. The second step to a better life is... To allow God, to allow God to guide your life. If you want to have a better life, allow God to guide your life. I'll ask you a question. Is there something in your life right now that you'd like to change? Is there something in your life that you'd like to do better? If you'll give me your undivided attention this morning, I want to show you something that I promise you will make a difference. It's not a gimmick. It's not a temporary fix. It's not a program. It's an answer you've been looking for. It's an answer some of you need. It's an answer that will help you have a better future. It's the one thing that perhaps might save your marriage. It's the one thing that perhaps could help you get free from that sin. It's the one thing that may help you overcome your worries. It's the one thing that might help you release your past and lay down your box of regrets. It's the one thing that could restore, restore the joy you've been missing. Here's the one truth I want you to remember today. I just got one point. I want you to write it down, and we're going to try to hammer away at it for a few minutes. The one thing I want you to get is this. 
when you allow God to guide your life, it will improve your life. When you allow God to guide your life, it will improve your life. I want you to think about that, first of all, just from a practical perspective. Doesn't it make sense? Isn't that just practical? That if you allow God to guide your life, it will improve your life. There's a story in the Old Testament that illustrates this very principle. It's found in the book of Joshua chapter 1. Would you open God's word to Joshua chapter 1? That's in the Old Testament, kind of towards the front of the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 9. Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Now, one thing I want you to note before we go further is the word you in verse 6 in the Hebrew language is imperative. It's as if God were saying to Joshua, you and only you. You, and yes, especially you. Be strong and courageous because you, Joshua, and only you, Joshua, will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be very, or be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, then you will be prosperous and successful. Then you'll have a better life. Then you'll have a different future. Then you can lay down your box of regrets You'll be prosperous and successful. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. I don't know if you noticed as I was reading that text, but did you notice in those three or four verses that three times God said to Joshua, Be courageous or be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. He said it over and over and over three times. Now, why do you suppose, think through this with me, why do you suppose that God had to say to to Joshua, be strong and very courageous? Well, we can get a hint maybe from your own parenting. Have you ever had a child that was just really, really upset about something and you had to say to that child, shh, 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 it's okay, calm down, shh, shh, okay, calm down. Okay, calm down. Have you ever had to do that? And usually you didn't just tell them one time, did you? Because they were so upset and they were so uh, just flipping out that, that you had to just keep saying it over and over and over, just trying to calm their fears and calm them down. I have a suspicion that when God said to, to Joshua, you and only you are going to take over, Moses. I have a suspicion that he became so terrified 
that his body literally began to tremble. Because three times Almighty God said to him, three times God says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Now, why was he so worried? Well, there's a couple of reasons in my estimation. And you need to get this so you can understand what God tells him later. Joshua was facing the biggest challenge of his life. Here's the biggest challenge of his life. He was about to take over for Moses. Now, you don't have to be a big Bible student to know the name Moses. Everybody just about knows the name Moses. Uh, Non-believers know the name Moses. When you were living in that day, you really knew the name Moses. Moses was the man. Moses was the leader. Moses was the one you had depended on for 40 years. Moses was the man who was God's representative. Moses was the man who went up on the mountain and literally talked to God face to face. Moses was the man who led 2 million people out of Egypt. Moses was the man who handled all the problems. Moses was the man everybody trusted in, followed, looked to, respected. It was Moses. And you know what God said to Joshua? You're going to take his place. And he started probably trembling. Now, it's hard for us to perhaps totally relate to that. Let me try to bring it to current day terms. Let's say, for example, that you, let's just pretend, male or female, doesn't matter, uh, young or old, doesn't matter. Let's just pretend that you are the personal uh, uh, assistant to Billy Graham in the prime of his ministry. Just try to get that in your mind. And you have served as his personal assistant, his number one guy, his number one person. You served with Billy Graham for 40 years. You're in Knoxville, Tennessee at Nayland Stadium. That's where I saw Billy Graham. And and he is about to preach to 100,000 people. He's in his prime of his ministry. He's about to preach to 100,000 people. You're backstage... And all of a sudden, you hear some commotion. And then you hear an audible voice from God saying, Moses, my servant. I'm sorry, rerun. Take two. (laughs) You know the difference between God and Keith? One difference is he doesn't make mistakes. God said... God would say to you, my servant Billy has died. He's dead. Now I want you to go out and preach to those 100,000 people. How many would be a little bit nervous about that? I'm telling you what, I'm a preacher and I have preached for a long time. And uh, maybe, I think... probably 30-some years, or 31 years or so. But if God, if I heard God speak, and God said, Billy Graham is dead, and I want you to go out in that stadium and preach to those 100,000 people, my knees would be knocking so loud they would hear it in the top row. That would be after they woke me up because I passed out. I would be absolutely terrified. I would be hyperventilating. And God would have to say to me at least three times, be strong, be very courageous, be strong, it's okay, be very courageous, it's okay, be very courageous, I'm with you. So that's one of the reasons 
But you take that 100,000 people that you're going to speak to and on behalf of Billy Graham, you're going to preach to 100,000 people. Now add 1.9 million people to that 100,000. And now you're starting to get a picture of what the responsibility was going to be to fill the shoes of Moses. But not only that, not only had he found out he was going to fill Moses' shoes, the other thing that probably caused him great concern was this. Make sure you hear this. The other thing that caused him great concern was this. He had already tried to lead the people into the promised land once before, and he had failed. Remember the story? Rewind the story. You go back 40 years before this event. Moses sends in Joshua and Caleb into the promised land with 10 other people. They come back. They give a report. They all say it's a great place. It's an amazing place. You wouldn't believe what, what a land of blessing that is. Ten of the people said, but we can't take it because they are too big. Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it because our God is bigger than them. We need to go take it. And Joshua and Caleb did everything that they could do to convince the people to go take the promised land, to go into the promised land, and they failed. It was such a colossal failure that that entire nation wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then that generation died in the wilderness, in the desert. Now, God says to Joshua, not only are you taking over for Moses and you've got two million people now looking to you, but here's the other part of the equation. You will lead them into the promised land. Yes, I see that hand. I've already tried to do that once. It didn't work too well. In fact, I've thought over and over and over what I could have done differently. Over the years as we walked in the desert for 40 years, I thought about maybe what I could have said differently. You know, it's like, man, if I would have said this. Maybe if I would have put it this way. Maybe if I'd gotten on my knees. Maybe if I had prayed. I've thought over and over, and all I've got is this box of regrets. I've tried to lead the people into the promised land. It didn't work very well. Now, with that as the background and the foundation, you need to see what God said to to Joshua. He said, okay, here's how it's going to be different. Here's how you can get past your past and have a better life in the future. Here's the plan. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Then... Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Look at verse 8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. God told Joshua that the key to success would be tied to his obedience to God's Word. Don't miss this. The primary leading of God was going to come through the Word of God. Had God wanted to, God could have said, I know it didn't work last time. 
I know you feel inferior serving in Moses' place, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send an angel with you, and he's going to be with you and direct you and help you. But God didn't do that. God could have said if he wanted to, I know it didn't work well last time, 40 years ago. I know you feel inadequate to take Moses' place, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be with you every day. You will hear my voice from heaven every day. The people will know that it's you and me working together, and they'll go into the land with you. But that's not what God did. Here's what God did. Here's how it's going to be better. Here's how it's going to be different. I've given you some instructions. Now follow them. I had Moses write down the instructions. We call it the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Now follow them. If you will follow what I have written down, your future will be far different than your past. If you will follow what I have written down, you will be prosperous and successful wherever you go. Here's the secret. You got some regrets? Maybe you got a box full of them. Here's the secret. Follow what God has written down. Look at it closely. Let's dig in for about five minutes. Look at it closely. He says, verse 8, Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that, here's the reason, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So the key question, if you want to live a life devoted to God and to His Word, the key question that you need to start with is this, what does God say about this? What's the challenge you're facing? What's the problem you're having? What's the issue you're struggling with? Ask yourself this question. What does God say about this? What does God say about this? You see, neglecting or refusing God's ways always leads to your problems. It always leads to problems in life that sometimes become a habit. And those habits can get deep and complicated and overwhelming and, and feel almost like they're impossible to fix it's because you've been ignoring what God says about this. You've been turning a deaf ear to what God says about this. So if you want a better life, if you want a better future, if you want 15, 2015 to better than 2014, whatever it is you're holding as your box of regrets, ask yourself, what does God say about this? You see, man's solutions only deal at a certain level, but God's solutions go to the heart of the problem. Now, you say, well, Pastor, how do I do that? How, how do I get into my Bible, and how do I figure out what God says about it? Well, let me give you a little thing that I think will help you perhaps do more than you've been doing, at least some of you, in your Bible. Put your hand up like this. I'm going to give you five things you can do with your Bible. Put your hand up like this. You got it? Let me see. You got your hands? Here's five things every one of you can do with your Bible in 2015. And if you'll do these five things with your Bible, you'll find yourself living the Word of God uh, in a way perhaps you didn't in 2014. So here's what you do with your Bible. The pinky. You can read it. I'm sorry, you can hear it. 
you hear it. That's what you're doing here today. I'm glad you're here. Hope you'll come back tonight. You can hear God's Word. And that's a wonderful thing to do is to hear God's Word. But if you want to go deeper, don't just hear it. That's the, the second one. You can read it. Now, reading God's Word will help you. Reading God's Word will give you a better basis for understanding what God wants. You can, you can hear it. You can read it. But if you really want to go even deeper than that, you can study it. That's the third finger. You can study it. That's where you become a self-feeder. That's where you, you're not just listening to somebody else. You're not just reading the surface of it. But now you're digging in and trying to understand what the Bible says. So if you really want to get a grip on God's Word, don't just hear it, don't just read it, but study it. And, and you, you can start to get a better grip on God's Word if you'll do those three things. But if you want to take it even deeper than that, help me now. The first one is what? Hear it. The second one is? Read it, study it, fourth one, index finger, fourth one, you can memorize it. Now, that'll really help you to go deeper in God's Word and into God's will. The psalmist wrote, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. He recognized that when he really gets a grip on God's Word, it can make a difference in the way he lives. So if you'll hear God's Word, thank you for coming to do that. I hope you'll keep coming back. If you'll hear God's Word... If you'll read God's Word, if you'll study God's Word, if you'll memorize God's Word, that's going to make a difference in your grip on God's Word. But the fifth one is this. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. That's the word that God used to Joshua. In, in verse 7 and 8, Joshua, or God said to Joshua, I want you to meditate. Look at verse 7, or verse 8 especially. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, Meditate on it. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written there. Meditate has the idea of, the Hebrew word has the idea of, of chewing on it like a cow chews on its cud over and over and over. You're, you're meditating. You're chewing on the Word of God. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to meditate on it when? Answer me, class, when do you, should you meditate on it? Day and night. I wonder how your life would be different. I wonder how your life would be better if you took just one verse and you chewed on it throughout the day and then you got it back out and you chewed on it that night before you went to bed so that you could do what it says. I wonder if your life wouldn't be better in 2015 if you started making that your very simple practice taking a passage or maybe just a verse and chewing on it day and night so that you can do everything written in it. The word meditate means, the word literally means not just to chew on it. It also has this definition. It also could be translated to mutter. Mutter, we would say. In other words, it has the idea of speaking something as you're looking at it. It has the idea of speaking to the Bible. Have you ever done this? I, I've done it. You've spoken out loud. You're reading something. It's like, man, I didn't know that was in there. I didn't see, I've never seen that before. Or you're reading something. It's like, what in the world does that mean? And you're speaking to it. Or, or you're reading something and, and all of a sudden it just kind of comes out of your mouth. That's amazing. Or I need that. God, that's good. That's part of meditation. Part, listen, listen, church. I don't want you to leave here and think meditation is not going, mm, 
Not what I'm talking about. It's not the meditation I'm referring to. The meditation I'm referring to is taking a passage from the Word of God and trying as best you can to understand it so you're chewing on it throughout the day and at night. You're speaking to your Bible so that you can think biblically and speak biblically and live biblically so that you can do everything written in it. You see, here's what he says. Look, I, I like this. I'm going to end with this. Here's what he says in verse, uh, verse 7 and 9. Be strong and courageous. Be, very, or be careful to all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from, from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful. Look at this. Successful wherever you go. You'll see it again in verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You know what that's saying? He's saying, I don't know where you find yourself as you go into the promised land, regardless what city, what area you're in, wherever you find yourself, God's word will be applicable to wherever you are. I want you to know something. God's word is applicable in the boardroom, in the living room, in the dorm room, wherever you find yourself, this book can help you. This book can help you. How How do you have a better life? You have a better life when you say, ultimately, God, I want to live what you say, so I will meditate on it day and night, so I can do everything written in it. I want you to bow your heads. I want to read one other scripture to you with your heads bowed. If you want to write down the reference, you can. You've probably heard it many times, but it's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just listen to this verse. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful. Some translations say it's profitable. It's useful. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. With your heads bowed, listen to that again. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, telling me what I need to know. Rebuking, telling me what I need to stop. Correcting, telling me what I need to change. And training in righteousness, telling me what I need to do. See, the way to a better life is to allow the Bible to guide your life. And the reason you're holding a box of regrets is likely, at least partially due to the fact that maybe you haven't been doing that very much lately. Perhaps you haven't been allowing God to guide your life and guard your life. Each day, ask yourself, what does God say about this? What does God say about this? Not so that you'll have more information, but so that you can live the way He wants you to live. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would honor your word and you would change our lives. I pray that you'd help us to have a better 2015 as we live out what you have said. 
Thank you for the example from Joshua. Help us to live the word you've put in our hands. Not just to read it or to hear it or even to study it. Help us to take it deeper into our hearts so that we can live it and let you give us a better life. I pray that in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to do what they did in the first service, and, and that is just to come to this altar if you have a need in your heart, in your life, in your family. You want a better life. You want a, God's help in a situation. Again, start the year on your knees and ask the Lord, God, show me what you say about this situation. And help me to let your word guide me through this situation. We pray, Father, you'll be honored in all of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.